Hey guys, before we start today's episode, just wanted to announce our new video channel, now up on Rumble, where we will be posting new monthly video content. So please head over there via our link tree, which can be found on our Instagram page, or simply search The Schism on Rumble, and you'll find the channel there. We're going to be posting all our interviews up there from the likes of Gareth Ike, Cathy O'Brien, and Mark Devlin, so check it out if you've missed any of those or if you just want to put some faces to the two voices you hear hosting the show, our Rumble channel is the place for you. Coming up is a brilliant interview with artist and author Neil Haig, returning to the show for the third time, where we talk about his new book, Journeys in the Dreamtime, exploring ancient myths, interdimensional forces and hidden worlds as we pierce the veil and go beyond our reality as we know it. Hello and welcome to The Schism. This podcast is all about critical thinking, dot connecting, the nature of reality and trying to uncover the truth about the world we live in, society, who we are and where we come from. Hello and welcome to The Schism. Today I'm riding solo again without my usual co-host Adam, but I have a very special guest that will be joining the show today for the third time, metaphysical artist, author and illustrator Neil Haig. Neil, welcome back. Hello, glad to be back, Reese. It's brilliant. It's been a while, hasn't it? It has been a while. Yeah, it has been a while and a lot's changed. I've, I've just had a baby which I'm rather excited about. And you look rather different from the last time that I saw you. You're, you've chopped all your hair off. Is it that long ago? Crikey, yeah. that, was, that was June, yeah, in 2022. And um, congratulations with your your um, baby. That's uh, that's exciting. That's a big, big thing, isn't it, by the way? So we, we might get into that later. Yeah. But, um, yeah, sure. um, but yeah, uh, yeah, I just decided to have a, um, a change, really. Yeah, well, a lot's changed from... The first time we spoke until now, and even the last time we spoke, because this is obviously our third interview, but um, during our first chat, we were right in the thick of it in terms of the lockdowns and the COVID madness. So we spoke a lot about your book, The Doctor COVID Universe, and just oh, the, the, right. the madness of the of of the time. But um, looking back, sort of retrospectively, you know, how do you how do you view that time now, and where do you sort of see us at at the moment? And when I say us, I'm, I'm, I mean you know, as a collective consciousness and as a society, and personally yourself as well. Well, you know, it's it, you have to you have to base a lot of what you feel and and some of the things that you're asking me on yourself, really. So I can talk about it from my perspective in terms of where I've been. And let me go back to, say, 2022, when I just moved to this location. I felt a certain amount of, um, not uneasiness, but I felt that there was kind of going to be a big push towards, let's say loosely, to this, uh, this agenda of what people, some people know as 2030, to Agenda 21 and all the rest of it. There was going to be a big push towards it. So when I put Dr. COVID Universe together, that was 2021, um, that was in response to what was happening to us, of course, with all that stuff. And then 2022, I saw it as a, a, a platform launching kind of um, vibration. There was something about the numerology, and I, I talked about it in blogs and other things. But this idea of um, being able to put together 
and watch the potential of something take off. Or at the same time, because of the nature of 2-2 and it was a duality year, that you would end up with things that you that that would also go in the opposite direction. So they wouldn't take off, for example. There would be quite obvious there'd be losses rather than opportunities. And a lot of people may have felt that throughout last year. I mean, it sounds so blase and probably a little bit kind of obvious, you know, that oh yeah, there's always losses and opportunities. Yeah, there, yeah, there are. But there was something about that year where things were started and things didn't come to, come to pass. And I noticed that. As we got to about the summer solstice period in June of last year, there was a real intensity and a change. And I was going through a lot of personal stuff, which, you know, we don't need to go into now. But in terms of relationships and, and, and connecting with people, there was all this stuff where you're having to really look at yourself deeply. And I wonder whether or not in terms of the bigger picture, the looking at, looking at yourself aspect of that is what we're doing as a collective and I really feel that because as we went into 2023, it was obvious to me that there had to be some shadow work on a collective level. And what I mean by that is, you know, dealing with your own inner demons, looking at the, the fact that we spend a lot of our time in our heads and not in our hearts. These, these things that we need to face on an individual level, but, um, you know, a collective level, it's the same thing because we're looking at microcosm, macrocosm and the understanding of a Everything that's holographic can be split down to its minute, minute size, but it still contains the whole. So if there's control in somebody's life in a relationship, then it wouldn't be so ridiculous to know that that control is what adds to the collective control over humanity. So these little things were some people know all this stuff, but a lot of people don't. And there was this realization taking place throughout this year, especially from the trigger point of COVID, which I think was a like a lot of these major timeline, I call them timeline jumps, where the the kind of um, the forces at work tend to instigate something like 9-11, like COVID, like a possible economic crash that feels as though it's around the corner. Um, and that adds gravitas to the awakening because you're dealing with other levels of consciousness, which is above and beyond the mind and, and beyond that, that very narrow understanding and limited fear-based construct, which is all about control and all about keeping people in a perpetual state of um, depression and anxiety and, and war and you know inner turmoil and all those things that we all we're all going through. So you you can't you really can't miss that opportunity where where there is opportunity like that where you can see things taking off and as I said in twenty two things took off and then went and then didn't seem to take off. But this year seems to be a year for really looking closely at that inner cycle. And there's something about freedom and true freedom and breaking through the, the perceptions and the barriers in the mind that lead to that true freedom. And, you know, Reese, I've in, even in the last few weeks or a month, I've I've been feeling a lot different about the kind of things I want to even talk about. And I haven't I haven't really. You know, I've not really looked at, I mean, I do a lot of looking at newspapers and things, but I've not really been that interested in in the nitty gritty detail. It's been more about the feelings. And it's funny, when you first spoke to me about that earlier, I think that's where we're at. This collective kind of wanting to know more about the deeper workings, the more spirituality or one for a better word, being more conscious and aware of that gnosis, that, that self-gnosis. 
you know, like it says on the, the Oracle at Delphi, the original statement, know thyself. So how can you know yourself unless you've actually looked at yourself mm. and how many people are looking at themselves in a mirror? I don't mean physically, but well, yeah, you could do that as well if you like, if you, if you fancy, but um, it's not that. It's the looking deeply and considering the patterns. And the truth of the matter is that the people around you, the people that you're in intimate or even not intimate relationships, the ones that you're connecting to, they're showing and reflecting back at you the things that you need to sort out always. So we have to pay attention, don't we? All of us, we have to pay attention. Yeah, it was it was a very introspective time. I mean, especially the lockdowns when everyone on the whole had a lot more time on their hands and they were looking at their own lives and choices, where they're going to go next and changes of circumstance and things like that. But I totally agree with you that I think we were doing that on a much larger scale as well. Even this idea of like the new normal, because people are saying, oh, I just want to go back to the old normal. But then thinking about it a little bit more and being like, well, do I? And was the old normal very normal? I mean, the the world was mad before the pandemic, right? So I, I think as people kind of longed for the for the old, they realized that actually it's a perfect chance to kind of reshape things into something new, which ironically is what they're kind of trying to sell at the uh, World Economic Forum, right? It's a, Carl Schwab says this is a chance to uh, reshape our world and stuff like that. But it's that same idea, but for good, not for the, not, not to build this cyber grid empire control system that they want to build but it's actually an opportunity to build something better oh my god did i just say build back better yeah you did yeah it was, which was which was one of my characters in the book wasn't it in dr covid universe he was a character you know uh, like a like a villain in superhero plot but yeah i agree you know this idea of um wanting to go back to something that I can understand why people would long for it. I, you know, I, many times I said I'd be lovely to be back in the eighties. You know, when there was no no cell phones sometimes. But we're we're moving in a way, and we're we're in a we're, we're in a process or a, it's a journey in some ways um, where we are evolving. But at the same time, we can see that there is potential for really either we either really succumb to what is being foisted upon us or we make that effort to break through it and go beyond it and and have some kind of connection to something else which is which is much more powerful than the the sort of evil cabalistic forces that a lot of people talk about i mean it's understandable why why we would have we would get concerned about you know all the things that has been done to us. I mean, you know, we're, we're facing a possible scenario of a, of an economic crash. I mean, I, and 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 there's always the third world war looming in the background, isn't there? But you see, all these things. I was having this discussion with a friend of mine the other day. But all these things can relate in many ways to this kind of um, box-like, limited game board, like a chess board in that sense, where even right down to the coding of that game all the moves the color sequence the amount of squares you know the symbolism relating to with we could go into it for hours but you know the saturn symbolism and all these knights templar secret society stuff all of that in that understanding of a game of chess all games come to an end monopoly comes to an end 
And this reality, this timeline, whether we have understood it or not, will come to an end. All things pass, that, that old, old adage. So it's how they pass and how we impact on that passage or that journey. Ultimately, I think the dark forces, let's, let's use that term. I, I call them the predator force, uh, or predator consciousness in, in this, this recent book, Journeys in the Dreamtime. But they, they have a limited amount of perception based on their consciousness. So they, you know, the moves on the chessboard have certain amounts of limitation, even within this time frame structure, this holographic structure that we're enticed into as human beings. And sooner or later, it's either stalemate or checkmate. It's game over sooner or later. And is that getting his game over for who? Well, the, the idealistic understanding of that would be it's game over for both. Because you can say, yeah, the black piece is lost or the white piece is lost and one won. But actually, the game still came to an end. And this is what we need to, this is where we need to step back and realize these deeper feelings and this deeper philosophy in some ways that. It's not literally about what we're focusing on all the time, because what we focus on, that's where our energy goes. It's when we take back that focus, which you could say is a power that we have within or our creative imagination or whatever you want to call it. And, we, and what we do is we move that back to the center of our own, our own being, our core, our consciousness. And it reminds me of that quote, you know, that, that I said in, in the book, seeing the unseen is like the quote by Jack. Uh, Jim Jack Russo, when he said, "Reality has boundaries, but the imagination is limitless." You have to. We, we have to go into that understanding of the limitless potential or limitless infinite awareness to be able to see our plight in a different way. So, because whatever we're, whatever we're squabbling or fighting or worrying about, the pieces being moved on the chessboard, in what direction and what's going to happen next? Because that, I say, that can be planned. It's very left brain. It's very logical, and it's very AI almost in its in its focus. But we need to, we really need to step back from it. And I say this to anybody who's listening: give yourself time to pull back from the chaos in the world, and and pull yourself back into your center. And have this sense of peace, this feeling. I know it's easier said than done, especially when there's so much crap going on, especially in our personal lives. And we've all had it. But I find doing that, even when you're at the, at the most direst times when there's so much worry, you might be losing your job. You might be going bankrupt. Your partner's cheated on you. Whatever it is, all, these, all this stuff. Pull yourself in to that central point of the heart, that heart vibration, that focus, and allow that peace to kind of permeate through your whole being, even if it's only for small periods of time, because it brings with it this connection and this memory to who you really are, this divine spark, this limitless I was mentioning a minute ago. So that's crucial, Reese, that people understand mm -hmm. that. Because if you get caught up in the in the um, you know in the chaos, in the moves, then and it's not, I'm, when I say that, I'm not saying ignore the game. The game is to be observed, but you have a choice. You can either be in it or you can step back from it. And we, we have so much potential in our hearts and in our minds that we often forget that we have that potential mm. because we get sidelined or marginalized or we just, we just forget through fear, that's all. Yeah. I mean, do you, do you feel like, 
because you spoke a little earlier about things not coming to pass. Do you almost feel like in a sense that we've maybe switched timelines? Because in in the previous talk with you, I remember we, yeah. were, we were talking about a dark winter in terms of the fallout from the, the jabs and the lockdowns and whatever. And mm. although the impact from that time has you know, already been massive and pretty catastrophic, I don't think it was necessarily what we were envisioning then it's it, it seems like it's, it's something that has kind of been stretched over a much longer timeline but um what, yeah what do you kind of make of that do you think that things didn't come to pass or do you think that maybe we were kind of uh catastrophizing things a little because they were moving at such a a rapid rate at that time i think it's a bit of everything um, I, I can't say it's one thing or the other, but I do know, I feel this very deeply, that there was, and I think I did it myself, and I'm going to speak from a personal perspective now, and what's happened to me, you know, even the haircut and things like that. I think there was a point after the summer solstice in June, and I think it was very prominent between September and November of last year, before Christmas, between September and November, there was something that happened energetically. And I don't know whether people listening are going, oh, yeah, I felt this, I felt it. And there was a series of full moons and, 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 and eclipses and things that were going on. And I can't remember the detail, but they were all going on at that time. Something happened to, to us, it certainly happened to me, where I felt like I had literally jumped to timeline. And the best way I can explain it is this. I felt like there was another version of myself who had come back to greet me in this time frame, and we made contact. It sounds bizarre. I mean, it sounds dreamlike, and it is in many ways. But I don't. When I say made contact, it was almost as though the old me, the one that I'd been for the past fifty years plus, had actually not ceased to exist, but had taken, had kind of disappeared. So the new. The, the future version of me was now saying, I'm here, I'm here. And this is when, when you hear mystics and other people talk about human beings coming from the future, and in some ways you hear them talking about it as though it's a cavalry coming in. It's not that. It, it's something to do with this deeper understanding, as I mentioned a minute ago, of who we really are. The future version of ourselves is actually an aspect of the true personage of who we are. But because of some of the changes and the trigger points that have happened in the last two or three years, like COVID, et cetera, et cetera, it's, it's allowed people to connect with this other timeline, this other loop as such. And many years ago, um, I illustrated the cover of one of David Icke's books with the time loop on it, Tales from the Time Loop. And there was an ending to the time loop. There's a kind of an experience there was kind of a, an implosion, and that, that time frame frequency came to an end, and a new one started. And I just wonder whether 2023, sorry, 2022, between that window, was almost kind of like a, a merging point between the two timelines, because I felt it. I felt like I'd become um, this other, not another person, and it sounds schizophrenic, I'm not. It, it's, I, became, I became my... I got into the understanding more about my true self. And there was a couple of other things going on around me at the time which helped me see that. And I really feel 
from understanding that, that the dark cabal cult, the forces that, that, that are off that are off world actually in origin when you look at it, they're struggling with this because they they feel they know, I should say, that time has run out. And there is this sense of when time runs out, because we're because time is the construct, everything about life and death within this time sequence. And we don't fully understand that, by the way. That's something to come back to in a minute. But but this time sequence structure, this 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 movement between constant movement between 3D, 4D, astral, lower astral, these worlds, this this kind of cycling process of birth, life, death, and then entering into some kind of like astral reality and then being born again, all of that is still part of this illusion. And I think what's happened is that there are people that there is, that are consciously aware of something else beyond that time construct, and they've always known it, but they're now, they're now able to more kind of get into understanding it thanks to, you know, thanks to other people like other authors, you know, um, and other people that have written about it and, and the times that we're in on one level, that's the kind of like analytical um, 3D understanding of it. But if most people are listening to this. It's kind of annoying. It's, you feel it yourself. You can sense it. You don't need to have read thousands of books um, to this point. You could have done and that's great. But you, you kind of get to a point where you know that there has been a major shift in some way. Now, you look at the world around you and you think, well, I actually don't see any evidence of it. You still see the odd character wearing a mask in the supermarket. But these people are, 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 are saying more about themselves and the fact that they are still living in fear. Let's keep it simple. They're just in fear. I mean, it's, a, it's like it's obvious the choice between love and fear is going to become more and more obvious as we get through these next years. I mean, it might even become quite obvious in the next year. I think it's going to be even nearer. There is a stark, obvious choice that people have to make, and it's not a choice they can make analytically. It's not a choice they can make by doing some maths or making a shopping list or trying to, you know, trying to really um, weigh up the pros and cons. It's about deciding whether you follow your heart, and I don't mean that in a new age wishy-washy way, or you're going to allow fear to constantly dictate your reality because if you do, then because the fear is being ramped up and because that timeline is coming to an end, then it's going to feel very, very turbulent for those that live in fear. That's it. Mm -hmm. if, you, if you've stepped out of that and you're saying, OK, I'm not buying into it, any of it. The world is a, an, illu an illusion. Even when you're going through crap, it's still an illusion because it's, it's a part of the mirroring process of who you are. But at any time, we can pull ourselves, like I said a minute ago, pull ourselves back into this inner focus, which is something that I've become more and more interested in. I was always interested in it, but through my art and creativity, I'm more interested in it now than I ever was. And what I see very clearly, if anybody can see, see this with me, I see this kind of crystal, like a crystalline light. You can call it the divine light, if you like. And it's at the core of who we are. And at any point, we could, if you can imagine some kind of um, a, a way of facilitating and holding that crystal up to this light and looking at all the different facets, all the different aspects, sides of it, you can see that very clearly when it's bathed in light. You can't see that so much when it's put into darkness because it's obviously, when it goes back in a box, you see nothing. 
And this is what's happening. People are, are succumbing to the darkness sometimes at, the, at the, the sadness of losing their light, their crystal, their, their inner light. And if they were only to take it out more often and hold it up to the light, up to the sun, if you like, and actually look at it and, and, and be fascinated by all those different aspects of their, of their love, their being, you know, their life, their reality, and actually empower those things like the imagination, like humour, you know, like understanding our own personal mythology, our creativity. Yeah, looking at history, thinking about all those things that make us feel truly human, not the things that, are, you know, not the things that we feel on a daily basis, doing a nine till five or whatever, we've all done it, where you feel browbeaten, tired, exhausted, depressed, anxious, worried, fearful. All those things are, are, are the opposite of what I'm talking about. So that's how I see it. And I think that's what's going to become more obvious as we go into the kind of rocky period. But to answer your question at the beginning, what you said, do you think we've missed something? I don't think we did. I think human consciousness and, and the, this kind of light I was mentioning, which in some indigenous cultures talk about it coming from the other side, which is our future self again, is actually impacting on this and changing things collectively. We have changes occurring all the time, and it's not necessarily going to plan all the time. Some things do. It's like two foot forward, three feet back. Or, you, know, you know what I mean? It's kind of, we're not, they're not quite getting everything they want. And um, I, I see a cornered rat in many ways. I don't, see, I don't see the power that they had, say, 20 years ago. Yeah. I mean, look at what happened. 20 years ago today, Reese, the Western Imperial Empire, Britain and America invaded Iraq. And okay, we had we, we've had an invasion of the Ukraine of sorts, and we've had lots of other weird stuff going on around it. But it's really, really like almost as though today, twenty years on, it will be difficult for the West. I should say they they need something big to be able to try and do that again, whether it's true or not, fake or not. It obviously was fake. You know, there was no weapons of mass destruction back then 20 years ago it was bullshit but the, the actual damage that occurred and the, the ease of which that played off since that point with 9-11 you know from that point onwards we were in a different state of consciousness collectively as human beings but I, I truly believe that that would be a hard thing to pull off now yeah, I think people now are just more aware, more awake and more questioning of everything that they see. Sometimes it can go too far the other way and people believe, you know, nothing, see everyone as controlled opposition and it goes into like extreme kind of power. Yeah. But on the whole, I feel like people are just way more questioning than they were because of the... Yeah advancements in like even the internet i mean obviously you had the internet at the time of 9 11 but now you know it's so much more advanced compared to what yes. it was you know how many podcasts are there talking about these kind of things and all these alternative youtube type platforms like rumble and odyssey and all these things these didn't even exist before the pandemic even no that's so true it's like things are moving on and on and on. And I think like COVID has just acted as like a catalyst for that. And and it's kind of strange because on, on one hand, you've got 
what what I feel like you're talking about is like the great awakening essentially and and yes people that are experiencing this this shift but then on the other hand you've got people that seem like they're moving in the other direction like to me it's it's been outrageous that say at the moment everyone back in home in the UK is up in arms about this stuff with like Gary Lineker and his comments that he's made and, and him getting banned from match of the day while at the same time all this stuff's come out about Matt Hancock and COVID being a complete sham and people don't seem to really be bothered yeah. about that on the whole. So it's like this selective outrage, like people are outraged about what, you know, this random person tweeted or whatever, but this other stuff that's come out that you think people like ourselves would be validated. Yeah. Because so much of what we said has now come to pass as, as being true, but it, it kind of, it, it doesn't seem to register with a lot of people that are still stone cold asleep. What do you make of this? The fact that so much has come out yet. It seems like most people that went along with all of this, they don't seem to care. It's just utter apathy still. Yeah, I think I think again it goes back to what I was saying a minute ago. You you we can't concern ourselves at this time with those that choose to sleep when the world around them is is going through huge changes. It's like it's literally like being asleep through a hurricane. Symbolically, they they I mean you know I've known people over the years that are very deep sleepers, you know, and and then you've got light sleepers that are awake and attentive and always hearing things and. And it's that kind of understanding of what it is. I mean, the wokeism and what's happened with the, the I mean, is it massive distraction on one level, but it's also, it's also doing something else. Um, there was, I think there was Douglas Murray. I saw something the other day, the, um, the journalist who sometimes contributes to Fox News. He was talking about the death of wokeism and the bank collapse of SVP and uh, Signature Bank was almost kind of like an end result of, of the stupidity and the ludicrousness of, of wokeness within the banking financial institutions. It wasn't about experience or, or the knowledge of banking. It was about identity. And have we got enough of this type of person within this structure, this institution? And that's, that can be applied to many things. So the, the ludicrousness of the asylum that we're partaking in collectively sooner or later is going to be what it is it's going to be seen for what it is by more and more people more and more people are waking up within the lunatic asylum as such and um i can't think we don't think for those that are waking up it's very hard to rouse those that are fast asleep two rooms down the corridor in the asylum as such let let them sleep because sooner or later they they, they'll they'll either they'll either get it or they'll they'll disappear with the asylum it's not it's and that's not harsh that's that's something that that's like trying to pull up flowers to see whether they've grown. Just let them grow, mm. let them evolve. You, you can all you can do in the time that you've got is put out the information as you do and try and, and live your life in a way that is is by example, but in showing people that you're not buying into that or you don't do that. And we do that with love and respect, you know. And I, I I've been doing that all my life to the best of my ability. You know, I never partake in any of the um, you know any of the the bullshit that was around COVID. I mean, I, I just couldn't do it because that's not me. I mean, I love that with the lanyards. You know, you know, in this country, in um, thinking of COVID, you know, the sunflower lanyards that everybody was wearing. 
I mean, it's amazing that a friend of mine were laughing about it the other day. We were saying it's amazing how you could walk into a place um, with a lanyard and um, and that kept a deadly virus at bay, that lanyard, you know. I mean, like they say, it's what you're saying. People can't see the obvious when they're caught up in the in the um, the density of the game. It's like playing Monopoly and playing it so seriously and the rules of that game and that's all that matters. And, and actually, if you take deep breaths, sit back and say, bloody hell, we're just sitting in a living room playing a game. It's not serious. So that that's the difference between those people that, that were consciously awake and the ones that were mm. just ever so serious. You know, it's all got to be real because it's on the television. Yeah, well, television is is exactly what it is. Tell you a vision, tell a vision, not get get your own vision, you know, yeah. get your own focus. So moving on to your book then, because from my understanding, your new book, Journeys in the Dreamtime, is actually a revamp of an old book, right? This is a, a book that you wrote 18 years ago. So yeah. what was it about this time right now that made you revisit that book and obviously give it this update for the time that we're we're currently living in? Well, what I did, I mean, the, the book itself, um, even though it was put together 15 years ago and, and published, it kind of needed massively updating in some ways because my, my perception had changed on some of the things that I were writing about. And also some of the content where, where I needed to refer to current affairs of that time had passed. So mm-hmm. I wanted to apply the new current affairs to the, the book itself, because the book in its core is about many aspects of how we understand um, the nature of reality, but also how, we, how that relates to an occult history of art. Because obviously from my background and my my, uh, you know, my career, I wanted to build that in and talk about that in a way that had never been talked about before. So there's about 20 chapters, 20 odd chapters over four parts. And I wanted to cover in the first part, I wanted to look at the things that we didn't see, you know, the, seeing the unseen, that kind of thing. And, and making, um, making people aware of the forces that are interacting with us that we are part of and using art and mythology as always as a way of seeing those things explaining them so i i did that very much in the in the first part of the book and then as we get into the second part of the book i was more and more interested in the the kind of the symbolism but also looking at the true art history the the hidden art history so you know because you know the biggest questions that artists ask when you look at art is, you know, if you compare a Da Vinci um, to say a modern piece of fine art, or you compare a a Bronze Age pictograph, sorry, a pictograph to say a modern piece of fine art, what what is art? Art for art's sake, yeah, okay, but really, is that what art was always about? Art was prophecy at one time. Art was also propaganda when you get into those later periods where empires and priesthoods took over that structure. So I cover all that in the book. There's a chapter called From the Shaman to the Patron, which looks at that takeover and looks at some of the ways in which um, art has been used through priesthoods into the period that would be seen as the, um, the, the religious period, say 3,000 years ago, 
I mean, for, for nearly 2,000 years, art was propaganda in many ways. Not, not art that somebody would make at home, but I mean the major pieces that, were, that is produced. You know, the first artists were shamans. But if you look at the actual language for art in, in the indigenous cultures, there's actually no words used to describe the artist. They're given names like Hunt or holy man or holy woman, shaman. So they were priests. So they were they were healers. You know, they were they were markers of rocks, that kind of thing. So I, I cover all that as well. And I look at I look at consciousness at the same time, because there's things that come up that relate to us asking questions about how our consciousness expanded or did it. You know, when you look at the symbols and the portable pieces are said to have been found about from 30,000 years ago, like the, um, the what do they call them, the, the lion-headed humanoids from the Paleolithic period, was that about consciousness or was that more about actual beings? So I, we, we question, I question that. And, um, you know, and then you've got all the other stuff to do with dark matter and what's hidden. So that first part covers that. And the second part looks at this alternative history where there's also, whether people know it or not, there's a huge secret society influencing the art world as well. I mean, there's a brotherhood of art that I talk about in the book, the brotherhood of artists. And it's quite clear once you go into the paintings and you look closely at some of the major classic pieces from the Renaissance onwards, the lower Renaissance, up, up to the, the even, even up to what we would call sensationalism of the 1970s and 80s, there are pieces of work that are very, very metaphysical, esoteric, connected to secret societies. I'll give you an example. The, the Hans Holbein, the Hans Holbein painting of the ambassadors, which was painted in the 16, early 1600s in the National Gallery in London. That piece of work is so Masonic and so full of different levels of understanding and initiation. Not least, I mean, the obvious one is the elongated skull when people stand next to it and they have to stand, stand alongside it and they see this elongated skull. But there's other levels to it, which I was shown and I was, it was explained to me many, many years ago. And the more I looked at it, I thought, oh, my goodness, this is, this is deep stuff. This is really, really deep. And it's not talked about in the history books. Unless you're a, a studier or a practitioner of ecclesiastical symbolism, like people that I've known over the years, then you wouldn't understand the fact that the, the two ambassadors represent the two towers, the two pillars, and the central pillar behind it is where all of the levels of Freemasonry in the first three degrees is interacting with us. The time structure at the bottom with the skull is one thing, which is meant to be sitting on Greenwich Palace's floor, in the floor, with a almost a Star of David sitting behind it, which is hidden in the shadows. And in the top left-hand corner, there's also a, a, a crucifix at the top, hidden behind the curtain, which relates to this understanding of duality, life and death, and also these, you know, these brotherhoods that were part of this understanding or this death cult, um, whether it was the Brotherhood of Our Lady or it was more obvious through the Teutonic Orders. So this stuff is all in the book. And also other things, Reese, like the constant subjects that are found in visionary art. I looked at that as well. So if you're an artist, you'll find it fascinating. If you're, if you're an art historian, you might find, end up finding a few new things that you didn't think about. And, and if you're really interested in uh, what the dream time is and the astral world and how we interact with it and consciousness in some levels, I go into that as well. I cover that in the latter part of the book. 
in terms of, you know, how the divine form is being portrayed within art. So you have constant subjects like animal-human fusion, archetypal mythic characters. You know, there's always been this animation of the inanimate within spirit and consciousness, heaven and hell worlds, divine forms, you know, sacred geometry and inventions, all those things can be seen in work going back hundreds of years. Blake's work, William Blake, you know, uh, and some of the others I mentioned, like um, Da Vinci. Uh, then you've got Hollywood. There's a huge section on, on hidden signs in the media. And in fact, there's two parts to that, two chapters, where I look at a lot of that and how that relates to um, the subliminal messages within advertising and things like that. And then there's a whole chapter on COVID. That's why I updated it. So that I went into the COVID cult. I had to bring that in because it was such a prominent part of our, our time now. So there's about three new chapters in, in the new edition, if that makes it clearer, right, you know, absolutely. what the book is about. So how well do you think someone can understand what is happening if we're talking about the bigger picture in the world without piercing the veil, without going beyond this material world? You know, do you think that that is integral to understanding the bigger picture? Like you, you said very briefly earlier something about, the real controllers being like off world. Mm -hmm. Like I like feel like a lot of people, even in the alternative media, like recently um, Russell Brand, for example, went on Joe Rogan show. I don't know if you've seen this, but they brought, they, they, they brought up David Icke and really kind of like slammed him and dismissed his ideas. Oh, you know, he's got these wacky ideas about this, that, and the other. And I thought to myself, that's so ignorant coming from two people that are supposed to be, you know, figureheads in the so-called alternative media that they would dismiss that because really people are missing out on a massive chunk of the picture by not going to these places that very few people seem like they're comfortable with doing. I think Brand is a bandwagon jumper, personally. I don't think he's... um, My view, I just feel this, and nothing against him personally, I don't know him, but I just feel like he's very good at jumping onto the latest bandwagon. Um, you know, he's obviously his career's come to an end, his Hollywood career and all the rest of it. So he's um, he, he tends to absorb other information from other people and then articulating in his own ever so wordy, swallowing a theosaurus style way. And, and because he's on mainstream all the time, I mean, I know he's recently been in America. I saw the video that you're talking about and I saw him on the... Um, Bill Maher's show and other and on Fox and things like that. And I'm thinking, well, if this guy was a real threat to, let's say, alternative to, to having alternative information put in the in the public arena, then he wouldn't be on mainstream television. He wouldn't be allowed anywhere near it. And I don't I don't mean that to dismiss people like him because they also have a purpose. They also serve a purpose. And there's been a lot of people that might have listened to Brand that might not have listened to somebody else and they've kind of gone, oh, yeah, yeah, that makes sense, yeah. Yeah, but it's like a gateway. Per- like a gateway. Me personally, I don't, you know, I, I, I just can't take that that seriously from the point of view of what you're talking about in terms of true understanding of the nature of reality, um, the forces that are pitched against us mm-hmm. and the truths that we need to uncover um, within ourselves, which reminds me of that fantastic quote by Obi-Wan Kenobi in, in Star Wars, when he said, you'll find that many of the truths we cling to depend greatly on our own point of view. So that's kind of like what we need to understand. It's about our own perception in in that way. 
And as for Joe Rogan, I mean, I again, I don't know. I just feel that somebody like Rogan is more interested in protecting his um, his you know his his finances and his followers. I mean, I don't think he's ever really broke out of anything. I, I've listened to a lot of Joe Rogan interviews, and I've never been gobsmacked, you know, mm-hmm. by anything, whether it's Hancock or even Alex Jones or you know Jordan Peterson, anybody who's gone on the shows. Yeah, it's great. It's nice to listen to, and you get some information, and it, and it makes sense. But this guy's not going deep. They're not going into these into these deeper subjects, which is probably why David got mentioned in that interview. Because to have somebody like David on that show would be mind blowing. To me, it's it's sort so of lively debate within these set, very limited parameters. So, like you said, it's quite interesting. But isn't it a name though? Isn't there a name for it? Alternative light. That's yeah, that's yeah. what it is, really. Yeah, I, I haven't seen it very much in the alternative. Only in a few areas, and one area, of course, is it's obvious that somebody like David has been right at the cutting edge since he always wanted to know the truth. Yeah. That's it. It's all about wanting the truth. It's not about, oh, I'll have the truth so much, but then I better not go there because I might lose 3 million followers that are paying me an income, or I'm, I can only say this because that's acceptable to be able to do the mainstream programmes you either want the truth or you don't. You either want to get into that deeply or you don't. And as we know, the mainstream media and great swathes of the alternative media is not prepared to go there. Mm. It's just they don't want to go there because there are other forces at work, I think, that are actually making sure that some of that stuff doesn't go there. That takes a lot of focus and a lot of, a lot of persuasion subliminally, subconsciously, to get human beings on a collective level and individual level, but that's still the collective, to believe certain things. You have to bombard them with a lot of stuff. You have to bombard them. The media is a constant bombardment. Schools, you know, universities, parents, all these things we could talk about. That is keeping human beings in a perpetual belief system. And that it make, it's ensuring and making sure that they don't for a minute remember the divine spark who they truly are if you if you want to get an understanding of what i'm talking about obviously you can look at fantastic books that david's written and, and other people but look at the teachings in um and when i say this by the way i'm not promoting christianity so please forgive me but look at the teachings which, which were supposedly the teachings of the figure jesus whether it's true or not which were all hinting at in parts at this getting to know thyself um, consider the lilies you know the um, the birds of the air all these scriptures the, the the story of oneness told through the idea of you know saying to people um, that you that you visited me when i was in jail you know you 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 fed me when i was hungry and all these all these things in the, in the in the teachings the, be- the, the Beatitudes, you know, the Sermon on the Mount, all these things uh, are are all vibrational codes in many ways. If, if you're not sucked into a belief system, a narrow belief system can actually open your heart to understanding more about what we need to do to be able to lose that yoke, that suppression, and actually truly feel like we're in our, in our freedom, in our power. But to do that, we've got to lose the perception and the belief systems. 
Mm. And a lot of people, a lot of people lose it through meditation. They do self-realization courses and all the rest of it. And there's nothing wrong with that. But we have to get back to who we are to be able to, you know, to really see things. And um, as I said earlier, we're being bombarded, Reese. We're being constantly bombarded by subliminals and other things that are distracting us from our, our truth. And look at, I mean, just look at COVID when that was going on with the constant news bulletins and the three idiots standing behind placards, you know, every night. And then the, and the drum rolls on the, on the news and the media and the content, our brain, our mind, our perception, our mind, which is the most important part, is being trained. And then on top of that, as part of that training, that program, we have the other worrying aspects of artificial intelligence overshadowing that simulating or assimilating i should say with with that and that's that's something that i kind of have tried to understand in journeys a little bit the book's not about that but you you start to uncover things as you know when you write and you research and you put things together so i'm I'm convinced that the dream time as such on one level is the astral world and i think a lot of our ideas and our perceptions are given to us by the astral reality the astral world um, it's like being in a subconscious state. Mm. When, when, when it's under the surface, when it's sub, subterranean, subconscious, then you've got to be able to take it from un- underneath and bring it into the conscious light and to see it for what it is. And how people do that, that's up to them. Like I say, my method is to go into this central feeling of the heart, this, this feeling of, uh, of peace, which comes through... You could say it comes through following your heart, but even following your heart can lead you into all sorts of problems because that's part of the journey. But it's this choice between feeling at peace or feeling at war within yourself. Mm. And that might mean you have to turn off the bloody television completely. Might mean you have to, you know, spend more time in nature, as I've said over the years in various formats, you know, to be able to understand ourselves, we've got to lose the distraction. That's what I'm saying. We've got to lose that hugely. Well, you spend a lot of time in nature. I remember your videos of you talking when you were walking around the woods and these ancient sites. And I know you did a, a series for Iconic, right? The the Holy Grail when you were going to uh, visit these ancient yeah, sites. Yeah, that's right. I did, yeah, I, we did. That, that's, um, that project is about, that film is about to be released, actually. It's um, shout out to Iconic. They're, it was a great, a great project to be involved in. It's fantastic. And um, I, I loved contributing. And that's coming out to Easter, the first part of it anyway. Right, brilliant. But I, I also made some, yeah, I was making videos in, in my thinking field, as I called it, which was a play on words because if anybody had got what I was talking about, I don't, I haven't made any for a while because of other factors and things that I'm doing. But the thinking field is what it is. It's a field of information. Mm. So... The brain or the thoughts or the mind, whatever way you want to look at it, the brain is a physical thing, but the mind doesn't end with us. It's everywhere. It's in the field. It's part of the waveform information within the field. It's in everything that we interact with. While we're walking in nature, our mind is in the fields, in the trees, in the sky. If we meet somebody on the path, it's also them. There's a reason why that person is Walk to, is walking towards us might not be significant but they're part of that virtual reality which is being coded by the waveform field 
which our mind is being either manipulated to do or we are consciously creating. Either way, there is something about the mind and being out of our minds and being mindful, and I'm thinking of all the words that relate to mind, which are not who we really are. So we have emotions and we have thoughts and we have beliefs and we have a perception, but are we really saying that the mind is who we really are? Who are we? If we're walking in a field and we're thinking thoughts and we, we, um, we have a certain thought about a particular thing, no matter what it is, then that's all it is. It's a thought. It's not real. And it's the same with fear. You know, it, it's not real. It, it's actually a, a, an illusion that's in the mind. Mm. Unless it's very real when it's, you know, we are facing a physical thing, like a, you know, a dog about to attack you or whatever, then that, that's actually something that is manifested right in front of your face. But generally speaking, fear is, um, is, is, is a fake experience. It doesn't exist, does it? It's actually something that we're just thinking of. The mind and the thoughts and the waveform and all of that can create um, the problems for us at the same time as it can probably create the patterns for us to observe what we need to lose and what we need to look into more closely. So in terms of what we're up against, I mean, to me, when you put it all together, it feels like a real anti-human agenda, you know, like poisoning us with these jabs and stuff they're putting in the food and water. You've got 5G. I mean, it just reminded me then when you were talking about walking, because uh -huh. I take my dog for a walk every day. I spend a lot of time in nature myself, and I'm always yeah. looking up at the sky and noticing these bloody chemtrails, you know. And it, yeah. it feels like, to me, we're under constant attack. You, you you can't help but sort of think, you know, like, why? Like, it wouldn't make any sense for there to be this anti-human agenda if it was humans pushing it, no matter how evil they were. Okay, yeah. You understand I, what I'm trying I, to say? Yeah, I like, totally understand. Yeah, I mean, be, the best way I can understand that, the way I thought about it, is imagine imagine a, 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 the collective reality of humanity is basically a, a virtual reality where everybody has chosen a character, a player themselves, born in flesh and bone in this world. But if they were on as, in a game world, which is very real for people, and they interact, and every now and again an, a non-player comes at them it's, it's a program it's been written into the software into the game could be a monster or a, somebody who's going to shoot them at a corner or somewhere as they're trying to get to another level and i really feel that the forces that are working against humanity are actually on one level at the level not so far away from our, our understanding of physicality it's actually a form of artificial intelligence and what it is, it's creating non-players, which are thought forms within the mind, the construct of the mind in that, in, that, in that sequence of events, whether it's in the game or in reality, that are, are only merely expressions of something that is what the Gnostics called the fake god or the fake creator. You can call that, I mean, if you wanted to get into religious terms, people can go and re research the Gnostics and look at the term for the Demiurge or Yaldabaoth or Saturnu and all these other names. Because there is a force that is not human, that is artificial, intelligent, obsessed with technology, could probably take form in some ways and may well take form in other dimensions of reality. It could be cyborg. I'm, I'm throwing ideas out now for people to 
grasp and play with. I'm not saying this is the mm. definite, but this is what it could be. But I know as a as a human being with a connection to the divine, the true infinite source, that this lifetime and this this period in this flesh and bone within this time frame sequence is the game reality, it's that game world. And we can choose to be, we can choose to accept the non-players that come at us, the thoughts, the problems, the politicians that are making decisions on our television screens that are all sentient beings in many ways, whether to take them seriously as part of the game or whether or not we, at some point, and there's so much power in this, at some point we choose to just drop the console and come out of the game. Hmm. And by doing that, it doesn't mean we lose power or we, or we cease to exist. We're actually making the biggest statement. We're saying, look, I'm in this world, but I'm not of this world. I'm here and I'm going to enjoy and bring all the um, abundance and beauty into this world, be of service to this world, but not take it seriously to the point where it impacts on the quality of my health, the quality of the, the, the people around me, and, and all the rest of it. And saying that, you're going to be confronted by people, as we, as we do, which are pure narcissistic. These people are the non-players, as I mentioned a minute ago. The, the, this is the sentient programs and, you know, the psychopaths at the extreme level, like the people in positions of power, which have got human bodies. They're all part of the game. It's all part of this virtual reality. And um, what, whatever has written the virtual reality, whatever, whoever was the programmer that wrote the construct that has enticed the human being into it, I suppose you could see as the analogy in the Matrix movie, The Architect could be seen quite simply as that. But as that film beautifully portrays, or those trilogies beautifully portray, there is an opposite to the architect, and that's the oracle. And the oracle represents the, the earth, the, the programmer of the earth spirit or the earth in itself, the, the true matrix or the true earth. The architect, the chief architect, see IEC masonry and all the other stuff, that's created a fake earth. And as it says, again, I said it at the beginning of this chat, on the Delph at Delphi, the oracle is know thyself. That's what the oracle represents. So the power is, it needs to shift from the virtual reality that is fake. In other words, all the things that are part of the political, industrial, military, you know, big pharma, chemtrails, all that stuff is all about being, it's all been programmed into this reality to destroy the human being, to destroy the human spirit. And probably at a physical level, it's part of a eugenics policy, you know, and all the rest of it, which is what the jabbing is all about. But we have another world. It's just a choice. We have this other world where we can step into that reality and we can step back from the virtual world, as I said, by dropping the console and saying, no, no more. I'm going to be in the world, but I'm not going to be of it in that sense yeah so in a sense when people talk about sim simulation theory because sometimes like i had a friend of mine that got really into the idea of um the whole sort of simulation theory and i remember him saying to me oh i couldn't 
I couldn't read about it anymore because it was all just getting too much for me. I found it quite depressing to think that, you know, life's just a simulation, therefore it's meaningless. But mm. if you're getting to our sort of true self, our true nature, how would you describe that then? Because it's not like this is a simulation, but we're just a player. It's like we're not the player. We're not the console or the game. We are actually something outside of the whole thing looking in. The, the key, yeah, the key for me is to is the realization that what we are collectively and who we are individually, we belong to the consciousness, the fire, the spark, the creator that gave power to the program itself, the game, the world, the reality. We are of that. So, what are we worrying about? We created the world around us on one level because we are of the essence of what creates everything from the sun to the stars. I mean, as Jesus said in, in the Gnostic scriptures, don't worship the sun. Look for the hands that fashion the sun. Look for those hands, the creator that works behind everything. Now, that could be some people could be cynical and say, ah, it's talking about the demiurge there, the Gnostic creator. May well be, but the point is, we have to lift our, our um, sense of understanding of who we are to beyond the remit or the the construct of that game by knowing that we actually created it in the first place. Just as we can create anything, give a blank sheet of paper to a child and watch them create something. We are creators, and in the book, I talk about the myth makers and the creators. We have that ability to do that. We, we are flesh and bone in terms of DNA, born of the gods as such, but we are gods and goddesses in our own right. We, we belong to something that has great power beyond this reality. We wrote the codes ourselves. It's in our DNA. So the, the true human being coming from the future is, is on a par with the understanding of the real light, the real truth of consciousness encoded in our DNA, which is activating our heart, our crystalline heart, into becoming this amazing spirit that we always were. I mean, it sounds like when I say always were, but we're not, it's because people, all it is is people are forgetting who they are. They just forget. They've forgotten how much power they have within themselves. And over the, you know, over the centuries and over the eons, there has been various teachings in the form of personas, which have reminded us of that. And as, you know, as Bill Ix said in his comedy run, didn't he? Mm. he said, and, and, we, and we kill those people. That is that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, but we don't even have to get into that. We just have to really, we have to really feel it within ourselves. We have to know that we have this innate, creative, infinite power within ourselves. And it sounds so simplistic and it sounds like, um, you know, like, like it's just a cliche or too obvious. But in truth, if you think every, if you know everything is connected, everything is connected, then when the droplet in the ocean sees itself as the ocean, then it ceases to be a droplet. Everything becomes the ocean. And it takes one droplet to do that. We don't need every droplet to become the ocean for the ocean to exist. It exists anyway. It's you becoming it and knowing it within your heart. It, it's that kind of understanding. 
it's a bit like discovering new lands, isn't it? And seeing with new eyes at the same time. And funnily enough, creativity, as I've said for years, is one of the biggest routes to be able to grasp that. That's, that's a really powerful way of finding that out about yourself. Now, don't, I don't mean drawing and painting. I just mean being creative with your thoughts and, and not always allowing our eyes to deceive us, which they do. I'm getting a bit of a deja vu while I'm, while I'm saying this to you, Reese. I don't know if something's coming. There's a quote from Paracelsus, which he says, the great truth of the universe lies within the human imagination. It's the source, the sun. And those who understand its powers are the lords of all created things. That's what the darker um, levels of fear and these off-world forces want humanity not to know. Not to know that they have this power within themselves. Not to remember. Not to remember, yeah. Not to have that gnosis. Because gnosis is a form of remembrance in many ways. So the self-gnosis is something that they absolutely are terrified of. Because once people grasp that understanding and they start to apply it to their lives daily, then the game, the the virtual world with all of the non-players and all of the other bits within the levels ceases to have any power over us. It ceases to exist eventually. Mm. That's the other world that mystics have talked about, you know, the the new world, the new reality, the new Jerusalem, all these things that have been talked about it's not necessarily the new world order. And it's interesting because when you look at what we were talking about before, the fact that a tremendous act by dark forces to try and lock down and keep humanity in more fear of pain and tyranny can actually be, in the times that we're in, an opportunity to see this new world, to realise it. Not their world, not the Great Reset, but the new world, the one that humanity in their hearts, truly one that they would have in an instant if they would just remember what that is, you know, and how they can get to that. It's that it's that force that reconnects us to, to the infinite. And imagining that world is the, is the first step, isn't it? Because yeah, everything that exists in this reality had to be imagined first. So without without that very first step of visualizing it, we we can never manifest it and and i guess this whole kind of anti-human agenda that we're talking about rather than like you said on a sort of material level of depopulating or uh, eugenics or whatever else it's stopping as you said us remembering who we really are and trying to extinguish our kind of divine spark yeah if you, you see the fifth sorry the fifth sense kind of 3d 3d illusion with all of the stuff that is thrown at us to diminish and to kill off, and, and, and it's part of an agenda, a very, very dark and evil agenda. I'm not saying for a minute we ignore it. What I'm saying is we don't give it any energy. Mm. We, have to, we have to shift the focus of energy because where our attention goes, energy flows. So we need to remember that as well. And we also, like it says in Proverbs chapter 29, where there is no vision, the people perish. We have to have vision. We have to have some kind of understanding of what the what that vision is and you see the more of humanity awakens to its truth and its real potential the visionary aspect of humanity and the focus to desire a better world will actually happen because we're getting near to that point where the more lights go on the brighter the world is 
you know, it's like, imagine a very dark world. I mean, I'm just doing this symbolically, but it's a little bit like this analogy of I've, I've used a few times, but in the book, I mentioned the fact that to know that there's more in the world, if you imagine flying above the earth at night and coming lower down to city level, but you're still, you know, thousands of feet above the air, you can see a city lit up in the darkness. You can see all the neon lights, but we all know that in the darker areas, which are often larger than the little areas that are light in light, there are other people, other things, other things moving and living, sleeping. Just because we can't see them doesn't mean they're not there. And by the same notion, can you imagine more lights coming on? So there's less and less of this obvious shadow darkness to the point where there is just light. And when I say that, I don't mean I'm not belittling shadow work and people that look have to look at the darkness because I've spent the best part of, you know, 25, nearly 30 years looking at dark subjects for my art. I don't mean ignore it. I'm saying we have to switch on our heart light. We have to put on our light. We have to do that because the world needs us to. And how we do that, it's as simple as, like I said before, remembering our true power and the power of being able to and giving other people permission to, to celebrate their own power at the same time. You know, it's that it's that story in the scripture of um, or I think it's in the Psalms where what we take a we take a light into a house, but we never switch it on. Why are we not burning our light brightly? Why are we not shining brightly? Where does that light come from, folks? It comes from the heart. We should be opening our hearts and shining our light symbolically or seeing it. We can see the light. We can become that. And, and I say it not in a way that is to negate all of the serious work that people do in exposing the darkness. But at some point, and I've been involved in that, at some point we have to open our hearts and show others and the world around us, and especially those forces that are trying to kill us off, kill our spirit, that we are light, that we are who we are, human beings. We're not being human. We're human beings bursting with light. Yeah. Every child born, and you'll know this from personal experience, every child born has that light within their eyes. It diminishes as they grow. It diminishes because of the nature of this reality, the construct, the physicality, eventually education and universities and life and television and media and games and distractions. And then we grow up and we become adults and we have to retain that light that we had as children. That's why, again, in, in Proverbs, out of the mouths of babes and sucklings, thou hast perfected praise. It's about that light within everybody. It's mm. obvious in children. Yeah. That's why children are targeted so much by all of these evil, you know, evil systems that we could talk about in another time. But do you see what I'm saying? We've, we've yeah. got to yeah, sure. we've got to remember that. At another point in my life, I probably would have said, you know, it would be cruel to bring a child into this world. And I, I, I would have been of, of that kind of mindset. But yeah. you're not bringing a child into the world. Sorry to interrupt. They're bringing themselves into the world. But yeah. I get you. Yeah, well, it's, it's it's something I feel like I've done a, a complete one eighty on because I almost now think, well, that's what the controllers of this world would would want you to think. You almost feel like you're being some kind of a rebel, you know, being like, oh, I wouldn't want to bring a child into this world, you know, it's such it's such a mess or something. But 
that's yeah. they 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 want people to feel that way that's why well, they're attacking the the yeah. nuclear family and all this stuff they don't they they want people to cease uh, you know bringing kids into the world yeah that's it look let's look at that i mean that's a classic example the subconscious programming on one level in the ethereal the astral the thoughts and the, the pain the suffering the anxiety i've not got enough money we won't be able to afford another child you mm. know blah 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 all of that is one thing that's that's where it's coming from in on one level and then you have the you have the physical tyranny when it's expressed in in the physical world in china as one one family one child and and they were you know they were literally killing children off because of population and control point is whatever it, we think and however we spend time thinking about that thing the more fearful that is that will eventually manifest in the physical world this is why as i've said before in other avenues if you go to places like the stately homes and the banks and the and i saw something recently when i was at one place at chatsworth house had had the same symbol as the uh, the bank of england the cornucopia the field of plenty and the the control of abundance you know the idea of you not being able to feel abundant in your physical life having children and all the rest of it is in many ways that they they've sought to control that through that structure i mean i'm i'm a bit old for children myself now but you you know it's 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 about celebration it's about life mm. it's not it's about love and when i say love i mean, i mean real unconditional love it's not about fear and worry it shouldn't be but it is for too many people because the world has been constructed in such a way i see a time coming personally when all of that will be almost a distant memory it's as though we'll be we'll be able to access another reality because of the collective consciousness impacting on the virtual world that we've been discussing and it will almost be like there there will be no need to feel those things because they're not part of the collective anymore they they cease to exist we know that slavery still exists for example but but in the in the world um you know the world historically slavery was was a major problem but it's kind of subdued and gone into the background but it, we still know it exists in many ways because it exists now in our world through money debt and mortgages and all the other things we could go into and having a job and not and, and not having enough money and all that but in actual fact if you think about that time loop and the idea of a new timeline there's got to be a point where we either slip into full blown new world order tyranny with the electronic currency and 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 the full fit, you know 15 minute cities artificially intelligent run all of that stuff we we slip into that or because of the the miracle of the human being and the state of consciousness we actually it actually ceases to exist because we start to put different thoughts and feelings our heart energy into a new construct that becomes something else and you'll see signs of that in the world today where people are not they they're withstanding the bullshit more they're not taking it all on like they did it's getting harder and harder to keep a lie going in this world well it's quite funny you mentioned the 15 minute cities because i remember in our first chat which is called um the cyber grid empire where we spoke about that idea oh, yeah. extensively now 15 minute cities didn't even exist then did they no. you know this is quite a new sort of thing that's been put put out there but 
it made me laugh when I saw that because I just thought, well, this is the open air prison. This is the cyber grid empire that we've been talking about. They're just calling it 15 minute cities. But it, yeah, it's so see through, isn't it? It's like it's yeah. not it feels like it's not working. Like people yeah. are already going 15 minute cities. No, thanks. That's an open air prison. Why would I want to live like that? Well, here, here's the here's the remedy in many ways is how I see it. But you see, to get to the point where people accept such a dystopian science fiction like reality, because all those 15 minute cities are in are in the science fiction films. Mm. No matter where you look, it, it's part of it's part of that, whether it's Hunger Games or whatever it is. It, well, there was one called Divergent, I think, as well. Yeah, or like was, Equilibrium or that's it, all of have, that. have these types of things. Every one of them. <laughs> yeah, they're all in there. But to, to get humanity at community level within towns and villages to to um, to accept such such an obvious uh, imposition, they they would have to wipe the slate clean because there's too much there's too much of the awakening occurring plus people with memories that remember other nice times and um, that would not accept that. So you've only got two ways of, of, of installing such a notion. And that is to wipe the slate clean. And it's like the kids' etch-a-sketch, isn't it? Where they draw a picture, then they go, shh, shh, and the whole thing starts again. How would they wipe the slate clean? Well, they've all, again, you, you, you're down to a very limited amount of options. Eugenics, warfare, and all those things are getting harder and harder to, to manifest. However, saying that, don't I wouldn't underestimate what may well occur in the next six months, based on those things we've been discussing, where they try, where a chess piece is moved to try and install some other kind of level of fear. But while ever we're buying into the fear, while ever we actually, like I said earlier, while ever we're giving that our focus, then we are allowing the unseen to construct those realities because we're giving it the power to construct it. We need to take the power away from from um, those constructions, those blueprints, and we need to bring it back to this understanding of true love, oneness, this inner power, which comes from the heart. That's the intelligence of the heart, not the intelligence or the artificial intelligence. It's the opposite, it's quite the opposite. It's, it's, it actually doesn't concern itself with what we wear, how much money we earn, how we look, all those surface things, which seem important, but they're not, it concerns itself with how much love, how much peace we have in our world, how our neighbour is not suffering, or how somebody close to us needs help, how we can be of service to others in this reality. That is the power of the heart, and that is something that needs to be talked about and felt on a, on a greater level. Mm. Because that will change everything. Yeah, because it really does feel like the walls are closing in. Like if it isn't this, these fifteen-minute cities, it's like the the idea of like digital ID, which they're pushing massively at the moment. And you you feel like things like cashless society and social credit score are like bubbling away in the background. It almost feels like digital ID is like the gateway to all these other things that they're they're really pushing for at the moment but they're kind of hitting us with everything aren't they all at once yeah i mean another thing that 
you know, keeping on some topical stuff, like another thing that's been in the news a lot recently is aliens, which I found utterly bizarre. I mean, all this stuff going on in Alaska with these UFO sightings and things like that. I mean, what do you make of all of that? Because, yes, on one level, it's a distraction, but aliens, extraterrestrials are something that's kind of come back into the narrative. Yeah, it's one of the moves again. It's one of the. It's one of the. On one level, it's it's one of the options left for the unseen to instigate um, a wiping of the slate clean. You know, you you can change society overnight by announcing that there's um, that we're we're no longer on our own, and and here and here are the visitors. Do you remember V, the eighties program, and then I think it was redone in the. Uh, around the time of 2010, something like that, the, the visitors, and they were reptilian, you know, you remember that. Yeah, announcing the arrival of physical extraterrestrials, which I don't believe for a minute, personally. I think the world is not what we think it is at all, and um, would be a great way of causing mass hysteria and panic and eventually having a different kind of society. I'm not belittling anybody when I say this, because I'm sure there are te- there is technology and there are certain parts of it that are real but it always felt to me as i mentioned in the book it's almost as though everything is operating in different dimensions interacting on frequencies and different realities and i think some of the alien imagery whether it's greys or or uh, or even the reptilians they're, they're actually sentient programs that are part of the non-player programs that are being thrown at us as we move through the virtual reality i think the best movie to, that showed that visually um, was the uh, Jupiter Ascending movie by the Wachowskis because it, it just gave you a flavour of of, um, of what was happening in the unseen. Because the unseen is greater than the seen. I mean, if you just think about electromagnetic light and how much of it we can actually see into physicality, the sliver, compared to what is not there. So what is not there is, as I say in the book, is a lot. There's a lot of unseen. And in that unseen world or worlds, my father's house is full of many mansions. I keep thinking of that quote when I, you know, when I when I think about this, it is a is a whole a myriad of of different uh, realities and and extraterrestrials, as we would call them, if you want to call them that, that were probably called angels and pixies, you know, a thousand years ago. It, the language of our times denotes how we describe the unseen. That's what I'm trying to say. So, again, it, it, how how they how that is presented to the public it depends on how many mask wearers would would believe that they're being invaded by aliens. And then saying that the other side to this, before we wrap up, I suppose, is that well, who's to say that human beings from the future arrive in this reality, interpenetrate this virtual game? And they just look like you and me. But like a clip in the Star Trek movies, you know, when Spock and Kirk go back to 1973 to rescue a whale and they've come from 2256 or wherever they've come from, other human beings saw them as human beings and said, you're dressed strangely. Who's to say that scenario isn't a possibility because of the nature of reality and how reality is constructed? So not to fear. I would say anything put out on the television Anything on the news is not to be taken seriously. I mean, I'm, when I say that, I don't mean murder and all these bad things that happen. That's to be, yeah, of course. And that's reported on the news. I'm talking about the big life-changing uh, collective announcements, uh, whether it's terrorism or economic crashes or, you know, whatever it is, alien arrivals. I, I, I wouldn't 
trust any of that information when it arrives out of nowhere on the news. Well, we go back to Bill Hicks again when he says, oh, I was taking life too seriously. You know, I've, I've, I feel like that's something that's cropped up again and again yeah. in this conversation, not just Bill Hicks, but the idea of not taking life too seriously. And that doesn't mean not caring about life, but it means not getting sucked into the constant bombardment of fear. Turn the damn thing off and go and find out what your neighbour needs. Go and find out what's going on in your community and, um, I mean, obviously, people use it for recreational, you know, watching films, movies, Netflix, all the rest of it, you know, and all that's great. But turn the news off and just go and find out what's going on in your immediate environment and help people. That's what I try to do to the best of my ability and all we can do. But I, can't, since, I don't know about you, but since, since COVID, it's been even harder. I didn't watch much before, but it's even harder. I wouldn't even put the TV on. I mean, I've got one, but it's never on. Never got no interest in it at all whatsoever yeah i mean it's it's almost got to the point with me now where i find it nauseating like if i get in someone's car and they've got the radio on i I quickly say oh do you mind if i just turn this off or if i go to my parents house and they've just got the tv on in the background but they're not even really watching it i say do you mind if i turn that off because it it actually makes me feel it's invading queasy it's it's like yeah it's like it's you know like penetrating your your consciousness just like yeah. this white noise in the background or something i i like yourself i have a tv but it's never yeah. on. It, it's not it's not a good thing it was invented for for control nothing more as, as as we awaken and as we become more consciously aware then you can't take that stuff seriously at all hope you enjoyed that episode of the schism we've got plenty more episodes on the way in the meantime follow us on our instagram at schism.tv and keep watching the skies